Thank you, Brother Charlie. Brother Malley, if you could come, appreciate again the messages this morning. Say uh, thank you to our dear brother for the water. I think there's plenty. You don't even want me to say a word without the mic on. Nope. Okay. I'm union. I have rules about when I turn that on. Um, this morning, our brother asked me, he said, um, Can I get you some water? And he held up a cup about the if you know dimensions of a cup this size I said if you're bringing that size don't even bother it's not even worth it don't even make the effort and tonight he shows up with this so he got his point across as well I do want to say thank you to you as a church in the presence of your pastor for your kindness in permitting him to help us at worldwide his voice, his passion, his vision for missions makes a difference at Worldwide. And periodically, we call on him to help us. Not just for a board meeting, but for times where we have new applicants, people who want to be a missionary. And your pastor is willing to come great distances and help screen those folks to help us see things that we might not ordinarily see. His wisdom from serving on the field, pastoring, has given him the ability to help us greatly. And when he's away from you helping us, we want you to know we are grateful for that. And even this week, uh, we need pastor's help. And he's willing to come to Norfolk, Virginia to interview a missionary applicant who wants to go to Bolivia, a young couple. And I think about the opportunities that are before us. The week after that, we have another interview where we're interviewing two people who are working with um, Arabic-speaking people, one in Germany, uh, the Syrian refugees who are coming across into Germany, as well as a young man who's going to return to Syria. And he is going to Syria, and he's just finished up his academics here in the U.S., and he's going to go to Syria. These are tremendous things. Our agency doesn't grow without great leadership like Brother Landers. And I want you to know, as a church, you ought to be awfully proud of your preacher. And uh, thank you for loaning him to us. He makes up the uh, part of the executive board. And because of you, he can do that. And I want to say thank you to that. He has the, one of the most unique perspectives on our executive board. He, Brother Landers and his wife served as a missionary with us, has served on the executive board with us, and is sending pastor to other missionaries with us. So if one person can sit at the table and say, I get that, it's him. If one person can detect what is maybe an undercurrent of something, it's pastor. Not every church can say that. You can. And God gets the glory for that. Why? Because we all ought to be the first to admit we're nothing. Now, we're quick to point out, oh, he's nothing. No, we all are nothing. And to God be the glory if anything great can come of our lives. I want to return with you now to Philippians chapter number 2. And I want you to start with me tonight in this passage of Scripture. We have been in and around this passage. We started in the first hour services, 
And the, 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 in the first hour, we talked about what is the mind of Christ. And if we understand what the mind of Christ is, then we can understand what verse 5 says. Let, chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That statement means exactly what it says. I am to think one and the same with Christ. You say, is that doable? Well, it wouldn't be in there if it wasn't doable. By God's grace, we can do that. You say, well, what has to change in my life? Well, in what has to change in our life is we have to permit that to happen. Because I am by default wired to think John, not Jesus. I'm wired to think as a sinner. You hurt me, I hurt you, worserer. They got that one too. See, it works, right? All y'all have been listening. And so, but you hurt me, I want to hurt you back. You say something mean to me, I want to say something mean to you. Just meaner. You inflict pain, I want to inflict pain. That's how we're wired to think. Thinking like Christ says, no, that's not what I do. I think grace when other people give grief. I think forgiveness when other people offend. I think comfort and solace I, when other people try to offend. You say, I can't do that. It's not can't, it's won't. I mean, I, I, I could jazz that up just a little bit if you wanted, but why not just speak plainly tonight? When we don't think like Christ, it's on you. When you do think like Christ, to God be the glory, take that and say, this is where I want to be. You say, well, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ in the first hour? I tried to explain to you that the mind of Christ, number one, always does the will of the Father. The second thing the mind of Christ does is always does the work of the Father. The third thing about the mind of Christ, the character trait, if you will, is that it always does the work of the Father. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These are the things that Christ did. He had the mind that God intended him to have. The will of the Father was to redeem all mankind. The work of the Father meant he had to die. The way of the Father was let me be humiliated so I can be exalted so God gets the glory. Then we talked about this morning in the second hour. The mind of Christ in church. What does a church look like when it starts to think like Christ? Things change. Uh, Brother Charlie and I were speaking before service, and he was talking to me about having a sensing. You know, I talked about the morning service sensing tensions in a church and, and then thinking about how some churches just explode in growth and other churches don't explode in growth. And we were talking about the particulars with that. And one of the statements I made to him is, we do church traditionally, conservatively, and unapologetically Baptist. That's who you are. 
That's not a negative. That's who you are. So, well, how do we know that? Mind of Christ says, stand fast. We just put our stakes down and say, this is who we are. We, I referenced this morning in the second hour, uh, the, our brother is a Marine, and uh, it talked about standing a post and watching guard and not giving up. This is the territory, the doctrine, the body of faith that God has given us. We're to earnestly contend for such faith. So we realize the mind of Christ stands fast together. Mind of Christ in the church is united. Yeah, we do unity when it's our unity, <laughs> right? Isn't that typically what happens in church? I want to, I'll be one with everybody as long as it's my one. <laughs> the mind of Christ says, no, it's really about Jesus. You say, well, what I want is important. Nuh-uh, what he wants is important. I, I said to our brother Charlie earlier, if we follow others' methods and think that if I copy that method, I will experience the same growth that some other church experiences. We've never done church by method. What works in one place doesn't mean it's going to work in another place. And at the same time, you have to go to bed at night knowing that you didn't sell out from standing fast with the mind of Christ. So if someone has methods that are sparkly and shiny and new, have at it. I mean, I, I, let's make our lines very clear. There are people who are not enemies of the cross of Christ that do things differently than I do. I'm not going to fight them. They, that's what they are doing. I just have, a, have to have a clear conscience that I'm standing fast in the doctrine that I believe. And I am unapologetically Baptist. And I am unapologetically conservative. And I am unapologetically traditional. But that doesn't mean I don't find out how people are listening and learning. And I adapt and I say to them, okay, if you think God is all about negativity and God is all about hatred, let me teach you the God of the Bible is not the God that society has painted him to be. It's education on my part to teach what other people might think and believe. I don't mind learning what people think like. I'm just not doing church by what people want. Like a menu. Well, I like crab, and I like this fish, but I don't like that, and I don't like that. Uh, that's not how we have survived 2,000 years doing church, driven by trends. No, our job, the mind of Christ, means we stand fast. We find out what's in our community and we say, this is how I stand fast. How can I reach every single person here? What has reached people? Methods? Eh. Trends? Uh-uh. I mean, some of y'all have lived long enough to watch fashions make two laps back around, haven't you? You've watched hem lengths go up, down, and back, and up. You've watched necklines drop, plunge, move, Shift, disappear. You've watched music cross a spectrum and back again. Where's Christianity? Unapologetically traditional, unapologetically conservative, and unapologetically Baptist. That's who you are. 
It's what I sense when I come here. Stand fast. I realize I have drifted almost into a pastoral type tone. And if I've erred, please just, but this is, this is who you have to be in this day. You know what's going to happen tomorrow? The next popular thing is going to come out, and yesterday's popular thing is so antiquated, right? Just hold the line. Stand fast. Get one mind. Have one spirit. Have one goal. What's our goal? Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And even the last point of this morning's message was even suffer together. When we have the mind of Christ, we go through battles together. When we have the mind of Christ, we serve together. When we have the mind of Christ, we get the gospel done around here. I mean, truthfully, you ought to be able to walk up and down that hallway and walk around on this church facility just as if you were at work. If I came to see you at work, and I said, show me what you do at work. You ought to be able to take me somewhere in this building and say, I do the gospel in this room. Uh, no, I don't. I come here and watch. I know. We've got lots of spectators. We need folks who will get in the game. No, 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 no. See, the coach. It's his job. We pay him. He goes find the heathen. He brings them in here. We watch the heathen. We mock the heathen. We gossip about the heathen. And when he reaches them, we watch them with a careful eye to see if they're really going to last. You say, I don't know where you've been to church, Brother O'Malley, but that sounds so foreign to me. Mm -hmm. What do we do? It's our job to reach the lost in our community. And there ought to be somewhere where you could say, if I walked up to you tonight and say, what do you do around here to bring people to Christ? Just like if I asked you at work, I came to see you at work and say, what do you do at work? Well, over here in this corner, I fold this and then that person does that and then that person does that. And when it comes out at the end of the building, it's a this. You would show me what your part of that is. You ought to show me what you do around here and not me because I'm nothing. But I mean, you ought to be able to show anybody. I do this at church to make the gospel go forward. You work in the nursery, that's a part of the team. You say, well, I give. Oh, as if you're buying your way in. Giving is what babies do. This is, this is exactly, baby Christians give. So you can't lay claim to that being the thing that you do. You've got to do something. You say, well, the Great Commission really applies to missionaries and to pastors. Nuh-uh. That was the best I could come up with at the moment. <laughs> but it's true. I have five brothers and sisters. That's where nuh-uh can come from. <laughs> so with you and I having the mind of Christ, we better learn not only what is the mind of Christ, does the will work in way of the Father? How does the mind of Christ appear in a church? You will see it by its unity of mind, unity of spirit, its work of the gospel, its standing fast, and its ability to suffer together. But now I want to talk to you about how you relate to each other. How you interact with each other. The mind of Christ in the believer. This is not talking about the church corporately. This is talking about you and me and getting along with each other.
Philippians chapter 2. Paul starts the chapter with four conditions. They, if you were, I, you may not be into this, but at one time I was, writing programming language for a computer. Boring, I know. But there, is, there are conditional statements that you can write in the software that says, if this happens, do this. Well, you get that. If this happens, then you do that. If someone presses a button here, then it ought to do this to their, that field and make the adjustment or update it and edit it. Same thing, that's what these are, these are conditional statements. Paul gives four of them in a row. He's saying, if this is true, then do this. But he gives four ifs. And they're not necessarily independent ifs, although they are. And they're not necessarily four things that are connected, that you have to have all four conditions to be true in order for it to be true. It just has to be one. Notice what he says. Verse 1, if there be, and here's the first one, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, there are the four conditions. Let me ask them to you in a way that you might grasp more readily. Since you've been saved, have you found comfort and relief in Christ when you went through a trial? Sure, then that's the first condition. Since you've been saved, have you sensed the love of God when facing disappointment? Have you ever faced a disappointment and knew God loved you? Well, sure, that's the second true statement then. Here's the third one. Since you've been saved, have you ever sensed his presence? There's the third condition there. Here's the fourth condition. Since you've been saved, have you sensed deep within you when someone has faced a hardship and you sense that deep within you? That's the fourth statement. Those are things that happen to a believer. If those things are true, then Paul says, here's the conditions, fulfillment. Fulfill ye my joy, what? That ye be like-minded. Remember the phrase we're going to get to, verse 5? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that I have to think one and the same with Christ. So I have to think one and the same with Christ, then I have to be like-minded with each other. So I can't be like-minded with them, I don't love them. Hmm, that's another problem you've got to work on. There has to be a, a, a unity of thought within us. So how do I practice the mind of Christ? In, in the, in maybe we can get to both things tonight. Maybe we'll only get to one. But let me give you a couple practices of living with the mind of Christ. How can you act that out? How can you live that out? Verse 3. The Bible reads, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. So how do I live out the mind of Christ? Number one, I live out the mind of Christ and it's seen when how I act toward others. Two words, strife and vainglory. Strife is a strong desire for personal success without moral inhibitions, meaning I'm going to do whatever it takes to be ahead. What is vainglory? It's the trait of being conceited or vain. You say, Brother O'Malley, we're all Christians. It is impossible that in a church there would be strife 
or vainglory? I'm going to take a guess. It's your first day in church. <laughs> Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. I've watched this in church all my life. Folks lose the mind of Christ and live with their own mind and have this strong motivation to be ahead. To be number one, to be popular, to have your way, to be able to pursue whatever you want to do. And in that process, you're there and you're saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I want my way. I'm going for it. I don't care that the pastor's for it or against it. I don't care that the deacons are for it or against it. I don't care about anything. I want my way. If you practice the mind of Christ, you will never have strife with your brother. You will never do anything for conceit's sake. It is impossible for Brother Charlie and me to have strife if we're brethren. You say, well, could you have strife? Well, sure, but it wouldn't remain. Why? The mind of Christ says, hey, <laughs> Brother Charlie's better than I am. Let each esteem other better than himself. You say, well, well I, I, I'm right. Yeah, you can be right and alone. <laughs> I would rather, Paul encouraged the church at Corinth, just take the defrauding. Take the wrong. Have peace with your brother. It's not worth it. The mind of Christ, when I practice the mind of Christ, I don't do anything through strife. Oh, I'm going to show them. I'll go in there and I'll teach them something and I'll do this. That's not the mind of Christ. You're acting like the mind of the other father. You're either the father of the devil or the father of God, or the child of God. So I ask you tonight, if you're going to practice the mind of Christ, consider this. Don't do anything out of strife's sake or conceit's sake. Do you realize... <clears throat> Not that Christians would ever have problems with other Christians. But how many times has the problem been traced down to strife? So, well, Brother O'Malley, you're not being realistic. There is, there's no way that you can go through life without strife. No, I, I've faced strife before. I, I've faced others who've done something through conceit or vainglory or strong motivation for self to get ahead. But you know what you have to do? Is you can't meet them at their level. You meet them at their level with grace. And you simply say, you're probably right. And if you really knew what was bad about me, you'd really be mad at me. But only Christ knows what's really bad about me. And he's forgiven me. And if I've wronged you, I'm sorry. That's it. Totally diffuse the situation. I think most church splits would be resolved if we would settle down on what is the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is established for us in Scripture. And if I'm going to practice this, then I practice this one principle. That when I have the mind of Christ, I will treat others 
properly and I will not do things through strife or vainglory. When I care for others, I don't do it to make myself look better. When I speak to others, I don't speak to make myself look better. When I serve others, I don't do it to make myself look better. When I lead, when I follow, whatever it is, I don't do it to make myself look better. You ever been in a conversation where you over-polished your own credentials? What do you call that, bragging? <laughs> Mind of Christ says, that's not really necessary. Our pride is not necessary in any conversation. Our humility is. He says, let nothing be done. You know what the Greek word for nothing is? Nothing. <laughs> it means nothing. Nothing I do in my life, and when I treat others, when I act toward others, I don't do it to make me look better. You say, well, if you're not doing it to make yourself look better, who are you trying to make look better? Christ. And Christ alone. Look at verse 3. There's a second practice that I want you to see. Uh, living with the mind of Christ is seeing how I act toward others. Number two, it's how I treat others. Notice verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Now remember, we know Paul is building to verse 5. Let this mind be in you. When the mind of Christ is in us, we do the will of the Father, the way of the Father, the work of the Father. When the mind of Christ is in our church, it changes us. And when the mind of Christ is in me and I work and look toward others, here's how I treat others. I treat them better than I treat myself. Anytime you start a conversation with someone who might be in opposition to you, you start with this thought, they are better than me. So well, they're not. No, they are. There's no way that that person's better than me. You have to practice the mind of Christ right now. And when you practice the mind of Christ, you say, no, they are better than me. So they don't have as much money as I do. They don't have as much status as I do. They don't have as much tenure in church membership as I do. They weren't here on the first day. Therefore, they don't have the credibility I have. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Who is better? Me or you? You're better. You say, well, does that go for my enemies too? Yep. Oh. I wish I could say that there's no opposition in Christianity, but there is. Sometimes your opposers can be your brother or your sister. What do you have to do? Start with this premise. I will treat Brother Charlie as better than me. He said, I'm really mad at him right now, but he's better than me. No, he's not. He is. You say, well, I can't stay mad at somebody if I think they're better than I am. I want to say the word bingo, but we don't play that. So, But that's what I'm trying to tell you. The way I act toward others, strife or vainglory, don't do that. 
lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. How do you do that? You suck it up and you go on. You just simply say, I feel so wrong. I, I need someone to pay attention to my hurt and empathize with my hurt and make me feel good about being hurt. No, what you need to do is just simply quit pouting and just believe they're better than I am. Do you realize Jesus loves your worst enemy as much as he loves you? He said, no, 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 he loves me better because I'm a better person. When the mind of Christ is practiced in my life, lowliness of mind, I don't think of myself more highly than I ought to think. Remember the statement I gave you this morning, too big for your own britches, that idea to say, I'm a nobody. If you start touting your position, your titles, your credentials, as the reason you should be heard, you've missed the point. I remember my last year of Bible college, uh, the, pa the, the professor's name was uh, Raymond Barber, very famous pastor from, well, actually he was from Virginia, but he made, made no more in Texas, but nonetheless, he said, the day you have to stand up, he's speaking to young seminarians, and he said to them this, the day you have to stand up and declare you're the pastor of that church, you're not. When you have to stand up and throw your chest out and say, hey, I'm the pastor around here, that's clear. And the day you have to walk around and say, I'm the head deacon around here. Well, you may have a head and you may be a deacon, but that's it. <laughs> I'm the oldest Sunday school teacher living. Okay. <laughs> My mama gave the property for this church to be built. Whatever. But none of those things matter. Let each esteem other better than themselves. You say, what about the guy he just last week was doing heroin and this week he's at the altar and he's accepted Christ as his Savior, got baptized, joined the church. What right does he have? Just as much right to be loved by Jesus as you did. None. What right does he have in this church? Every right. You say you mean a heroin addict who gets saved, trusts trust Christ the Savior, gets baptized, joins the church, has just as much right as I do, and I've been here 50 years, and he's been here 50 minutes? Yep. We don't do seniority. Say, well, what kind of churches do you have in the South? <laughs> well, we're working on them. <laughs> Here's what we do. Everybody's better than ourselves. What happens in church when that happens? What happens? Let's just go ahead. I'm so far out here now. Let's go ahead and wade in the rest of the way. What happens at the home when husband and wife might allegedly bicker with each other? What happens when the spouse says to the other spouse, you're better than I am? Now, I'm not saying you're better than I am with an attitude. Like, fine, you pastor said, I'm supposed to say, you're better than me. Fine. No, I'm talking about where you just simply say, you know what? This is my spouse, but this is my sibling in Christ. You're better than I am. Whatever way you want is fine. 
so I don't get my way. Wah, wah, wah. It's okay. When I practice the mind of Christ, it'll show up by the way I act toward others. It'll show up by the way I treat others. Lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I have to live with this mindset. Everyone is better than I am. Everyone is smarter than I am. Everyone is wiser than I am. Everyone is loved by God. No matter what their age is, they are valued by God. And this is who I have to be. So I couldn't think like that. It's not couldn't. It's wouldn't. Here's the third thing. Here's how when I practice the mind of Christ, it's also seen by how I see others. Not how I, just how I act toward others. Not just how I treat others. But notice verse number four. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You say, what exactly, how does that practice out in my life? I mean, how do I live that? What I have to realize is, if I'm worried about protecting my own stuff and keeping everything for me, and trying to act as if someone's trying to take what I have. That same vigilance, I ought to be looking on the needs of others and saying, what do they need? What do they need in their life right now that would make a difference? How can I serve them? What can I do for them? How can I assist them? I think about, uh, I've been studying a hotel chain of um, called the Ritz-Carlton. I've never stayed at a Ritz-Carlton. I don't even know, well, I can't say that. I do know two people who've stayed there. But that's, I mean, it's super expensive. Maybe if you get a group on, it'd be worth it. But other than that, but they have core philosophies that I've been studying and looking at lately. One of their, their motto is that we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Well, that kind of sets a mindset from everybody who's carrying a bag to sitting in a corporate office to say, we are ladies and gentlemen and we treat people like ladies and gentlemen. But the whole, what they call the Ritz-Carlton experience is guided by this very quite fundamental truth that we exist to serve others and to anticipate their needs before they have them. So what does that mean? I was reading the account of this uh, valet driver. So you pull your car up to the hotel, you hand the guy the keys, and he parks your car for you. When you need your car again, he brings it back. This guy who parks the car, now most of us would say, well, okay, position-wise, that's not really high on the list. But the guy saw that the guest had a bottle of Gatorade and it was the blue flavor, whatever that one's called. And he had that, and it was in his car, and it was half drunk. The, car, the gar garage attendant saw that and went and looked, when is this guest checking out? And when the guest was checking out, he had a cold bottle of Gatorade in the car for him, in the cup holder, in replacement of the one that was left half drunk in the car. 
What do you call that? That's anticipating someone's need before they have it and meeting that need and exceeding their expectation. What if we did that at church? What if our guests came in as a, at the church and we're going to practice the mind of Christ? That we anticipate their needs and we exceed their expectations. So if someone comes in who's been totally in, uh, uh, affected by society and culture, they think that church where we're angry, we're mean people, we're against everybody, we come in, what do we do? The first thing we ought to do is give them a sense of the love of Christ. To let them experience true compassion. Nobody can do grace better than Christians can. It's just whether we choose to or not. Nobody can offer love and forgiveness. When a missionary comes in, that we have a culture of saying, what can we do to anticipate their need? What can we do for our fellow members? We know they're going through a struggle. Maybe it's preparing them a meal. Maybe they're going through a tough time, and we offer to go sit with their family member, or we do something to say, what can we do to anticipate the tough time and meet that for them? This is who we ought to be. We ought not to leave this up to a corporate philosophy. This ought to be practicing the mind of Christ. And when I practice the mind of Christ, I see the needs of others. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. And notice what these verses say as I consider them just before. As we look at verse number five, we're talking about uh, how I see others. I am not to look on my own things, but look on the things of others. The carnal man wants to look at what he has, assess what he has, and say, what I've got is better than everybody else. The mind of Christ says, what's the need of my brothers in this room tonight? What's the need of my sister in the room tonight? Or are we so self-minded that we bump into church and bounce out of church and only think about how long did he go and where am I going to go afterward and never once consider, was there someone in the congregation tonight that needed something? Now, you might not be a hugger when I give this illustration, but there may have been somebody here could have used you to put their arm, your arm around them to say, hey, I prayed for you this week. Maybe you just walk by them and say, you know what? Let me take you for coffee this week. Let's, let's spend some time together. You, you might get weirded out by that. You might be a person that says, don't touch me, don't come near me, don't talk to me. But there are people who hurt in this very church. So, well, if they hurt, they should tell. No, if they hurt, you should know. The world will accuse us sometimes justly that there are a lot of broken people by church. Church has broken a lot of people. Let's show something different. Let's show the mind of Christ. How you see others, how you treat others, and how you act toward others. This is what we call living with the mind of Christ. What about you? If you got the grade from Christ tonight and he graded you on these three criterion, how do you treat others? How do you act toward others? 
How do you see others? The mind of Christ should change this community of faith. And the mind of Christ should, should change the community around us. People ought to know one thing. That church seems to have the mind of Christ. They may not be able to word it that way with church words and such. But they ought to look and say, there's something different about those gateway folks. I don't know quite what it is, but they act so nice toward each other. And they act so nice toward their guests. And they act so nice toward their neighbors. You say, well, Brother O'Malley, society is telling us, look out for number one. Society tells us I am number one, so I'm looking out for me. Christ says, look out for others. The way you see others, look not every man on his own things, but also on the things of others, but on the things of others. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. The way I treat others, nothing done through strife or vainglory. What would change at your house? What would change in this church? What would change in your community? Going back to our methodology conversation before church, here's the best method I know. Love God, love others. Do that. Practice the mind of Christ. So if God gave you that grade tonight, how do you see others? God says, okay, here's three things. How does John O'Malley see others? How does John O'Malley treat others? How does John O'Malley act toward others? No, you answer your own question. I'm going to work on me, okay? If I see others poorly and I act toward others poorly, and I treat others poorly, I don't have the mind of Christ. Again, I return to this singular thought. Every problem in church can be resolved by everybody having the mind of Christ. Would you stand with me? Your Father, tonight, from your word, we looked at Paul's words. May we see them as a message to our own heart. That we do nothing through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind we esteem others better than ourselves. That we do nothing through strife or vainglory. That we look on the things of others that we truly understand that the mind of Christ, when practiced in our lives, changes our culture and changes our homes and changes our churches. May we be a people in pursuit of the mind of Christ. Father, without a doubt, I know there's a reason you brought me to this place this weekend. And you brought me to this text this weekend. And you brought these people to this service tonight. So may we focus on ourselves. And fix us before you. For this I pray in Jesus name. 
As the music begins to play right now, why don't you come? Say, God, I need to fix some things. I, I've not treated others like your word says. Stri through strife or vainglory is how I've done it. The way I've acted toward others, the way I've treated others, and the way I see others is not right. nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but also on the things of others. Anticipate the needs and meet the needs before they arrive. Esteem everybody else as better than you. This is the practice of the mind of Christ. mind of Christ will change a church. The mind of Christ will change your home. The mind of Christ will change your marriage. The mind of Christ will change this community.